This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Thinking and Doing. In this podcast, I examine logical fallacies, cognitive biases, stoic teachings from masters past and present, and tips on being better at life. I hope it will be as instructive to you as it is to me in the pursuit of thinking and doing well. If you'd like to kick back a small commission from every Amazon purchase you make at no extra cost to you, please use and bookmark our special link at AmazonEVC.com. That's AmazonEVC.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This episode, we're going to look at some Stoic teachings. We're going to pull, as we do, from the Daily Stoic by Holiday and Hanselman. And then I've got what I thought was an interesting post from the Stoicism subreddit that we will consider. All right, this first uh, bit is from the September 29th entry, and it starts with this quote by Seneca. Nothing can satisfy greed, but even a small measure satisfies nature. So it is that the poverty of an, of an exile brings no misfortune, for no place of exile is so barren as not to produce ample support for a person. All right, so, excuse me. All right, so, I think what Seneca is talking about is how uh, big our needs really are. How much do we really need to stay alive? We, we really don't need that much. And I think <laughs> if you're in a large metropolitan area, you can pretty much go anywhere in the downtown area and you can probably find uh, camps and tents by people who don't have houses, who don't have homes, homeless people. And they, they also don't have jobs. All they really have is whatever they can scrounge up and I guess some friends. Once in a while, you see one with a pet, like a dog. But if humanity can survive like that, and there are certainly places in the world where humanity lives on far fewer dollars per day than we do here in the first world, in the West, in America, right? So when you, when you consider your actual needs, they are really, really small. Now, I do believe and I do agree with those who say that we have other needs besides, you know, just bare sustenance. I get that. What I've sort of been talking about so far is bare sustenance. So let's at least recognize where bare sustenance ends and where something a bit more than that begins, right? I think that we do have needs as social creatures to be with other people we care about. And I'm and I'm I, I say that, but I'm also not going to prescribe needs to other people. I don't I don't think that's a wise thing to do. But I think in, in general Okay, just looking humanity in general, I think that's that's who we are, and those are some of the needs we have. I think there might be exceptions to that rule, if you will, uh, and that's fine. Anyway, but it's interesting what Seneca says. There's no place of exile so barren as not to produce ample support for a person. Now, if you've got dependencies, if you've got children, obviously your your needs multiply, but it it there's still you know relative to what we think they are. 
right? When we look around us and see our big houses and all of our stuff and all of our wealth, there's there's still minuscule in comparison. So so why should we think about that? Well, let's see what let's see what these guys say. Let's see what Holiday, Ryan Holiday and Stephen Hanselman say. They write, "It can be beneficial to reflect on what you used to accept as normal. Consider your first paycheck, how big it seemed, or your first apartment with its own bedroom and bathroom and the ramen you gladly scarfed down in the kitchen." <laughs> Today, as you've become more successful, these conditions would hardly feel sufficient. In fact, you probably want even more than what you have right now. Yet, just a few years ago, those paltry conditions were not only enough, they felt great. When we become successful, we forget how strong we used to be. We are so used to what we have, we half believe we'd die without it. Of course, this is just the comfort talking. In the days of the world wars, our parents and grandparents made do with rationed gas, butter, and electricity. They were fine, just as you have been fine when you had less. Remember today that you'd be okay if things suddenly went wrong. Your actual needs are small. There is very little that could happen that would truly threaten your survival. Think about that and adjust your worries and fears accordingly. All right, so the, the lesson drawn uh, by these guys is putting in perspective what we have, how much we really need, because if the day comes where we lose it, we lose most of it. Maybe we lose all of it. We don't have to focus on getting back to where we are now. Instead, we can focus on getting back to just where we need, right? It'd be nice if we get everything back that we lost, but that's a much taller order, you know, in, in, in a moment, in the moment than just considering where we need to get so that we can just survive for now. So that's one lesson. I think the other lesson to draw from this is simply gratitude. When they talked about thinking about your first paycheck and how big it seemed then, I do remember my my first paycheck. Um, I had a couple of first paychecks. I had a first paycheck when it came to delivering newspapers, and that was that was really that was really, um, I don't want to say hard work. It was really exhaustive and annoying work. I didn't like doing that at all. So the pay, that paycheck wasn't as sweet. And it was more money than I'd, than I'd ever made at that point. I was, you know, 10, 11, 12, whatever. But when I think of my first paycheck, I really think of my first real job, which was a cashier in a fast food restaurant. And that job was, was, was fun. It was exciting. It was it was novel, it was new, but I was also meeting new people. It was in a mall food court, so a lot of different people came by. I would sit and chat with some of them. I'd chat with my my boss. She became a mentor of mine. And when I got that first paycheck for really what amounted to having a good time and having fun doing what I was doing, that that blew me away. And then that continued. Um and I remember I remember my first apartment. It was when I got married with my wife. It was a one bedroom. I didn't notice it because I had worked at a car dealership around salesmen who smoked, but there was a bit of a smoke smell that she noticed and it bothered her. But we were only there for six months. And I, and I remember, you know, it, it was a nice little apartment. And then my in-laws expressed an interest in moving from Chicago to Salt Lake and buying a house with us. So we did that. We found a house, which is the house we're in now. And this was 15 years ago. And we've been here ever since. And we've We've stretched and grown to fill it out. And we've got all of our stuff. And I'm in my 
office slash library right now where I've got full four t- bookshelves full of books and I've got my desk and my computer and my recording equipment. And we just, we just recently pushed the kids out of the nest and into their own bedrooms. We didn't even push them. They wanted to go. And I'm a little heartbroken by that, but that's, that's expected. I hope. So my son's in his own room now, and he's got his computer in there, and he's pretty much in there all day long. <laughs> and my daughters now have their room, and it's a it's a little bunk bed. It's a much smaller room. They don't have computers or anything. Their computers are in the the living room. But what's interesting is we've we've we haven't always been in this house full time. I haven't talked about this on this podcast. I, I've talked about it on my other one, but for three years, from I'm trying to think of the. I guess 2016 to 2019, August, we rented this house out on Airbnb and HomeAway, the uh, the rental companies that let you rent your space, either a room, a shared room, a full room, or a full house to uh, travelers. And when we started, we wanted, you know, what we did is we gathered up everything that was unnecessary, that we didn't want stolen or damaged. We filled bins and we put them in a little storage uh little storage house that my father-in-law built when he lived here on the side of our house. And we filled it with these bins of all of our stuff. And we, we pushed down to just the bare minimum number of clothes and stuff that we needed to leave and stay somewhere for a week. And we'd get a booking for a week. And at first we just, we had minimum, you know, five days. We didn't want to leave that pack up and leave the house for just a day or two. We wanted it to be a, a trip. And we also wanted to use the income from that to do some traveling. So with our first big booking, it was like a week, we packed up the van with our stuff. We got the house ready and we went to Seattle, stayed with some friends. For the next three years, we lowered the number of required days so that we would rent it more often. And we ended up filling it months and months and months. And we were not at our house for months and months and months. And we would mostly stay at my in-laws. We would sometimes stay at my parents at the south end of the valley. But a couple of times a year, we would say, you know what, let's do some traveling. And we had we had a California trip. We went to San Diego for two weeks and then LA for a week and came home. And then the next year, we had a Midwest trip where we went to Nebraska and stayed with my sister for a weekend, then Kansas City and stayed a week with some friends, and then uh, Iowa and stayed with my wife's cousin. And then we went to South Bend, Indiana for a week and stayed with some friends. And then Chicago and stayed with my wife's sister there. And then we came home. That was a four-week trip. But during that three weeks, what we learned is that we can fit everything we need in our minivan. Our clothes, our computers, our food. We can go anywhere in this country with just six bins of stuff and pillows and blankets and computer bags all nicely snug and tucked away in the trunk of our van. And that's all we needed for three years. When the seasons changed, we'd come to our storage and we'd pull out winter clothes and swap summer clothes. But for three years, we lived a minimalist lifestyle, family of five living with everything they need in a van. All we needed was a bed. And when we did have a bed, we were, we were together in one room. I was in my own bed. My daughter was on a mattress on the floor. My son was up on a bed. My wife was in a, a full bed with my, you know, then two, three, four, five-year-old. And, you know, if we, when we visited different people, you know, we had different arrangements. But we were always usually stuffed, excuse me, stuffed in one room. 
Oh, we also carry two air mattresses with all that stuff too. And it all fit and we fit and we were comfortable. So we've, we've experienced bare sustenance or, or, or much closer to it than, than we, you know, than we are right now. So, so we've experienced that. My kids have experienced that. And I think that will be, will be beneficial for them. It was certainly beneficial for me. All right. That's, <laughs> um, I really got into that there. I did not intend on that, but that's fine. That's what we do here. Okay. Let's, let's go to the Stoicism subreddit and read uh, what this person uh, has to say. And he's got a bit of a question. All right. This is a post by username OKintern4405. And they write, on the pressure of time, I'm in my late 20s and I feel I am constantly pressuring myself to make good use of time, whether it is a conscious decision or not. I imagine a number of you could relate. Maybe it's the rat race that has gotten to me. I'm not sure. But looking at the success of my peers, I can't help but feel the need to not waste any second of my life. And this pressure is counterproductive because all it does is reduce my ability to do and enjoy anything. Watching a movie? Better watch it on 2x speed. Um, that's twice the speed, not not a type of drug. <laughs> or maybe it is. Doing research? Better skim through this section so I can get to other articles. You get the point. Today I stumbled upon this quote. Time you enjoy wasting is not wasted time. I'm not sure this is perfectly relevant to Stoicism, but it certainly has helped a bit. I hope this helps you too. Question for everyone. Do you have insights to share that could free me from this endless pressure of time? Maybe more accurately, pressure by myself about time. Uh, quotes and mantras that I can remind myself would be very helpful. Thank you. Okay, so he's got a couple of edits after that with some stuff, but let me just let me give some of my thoughts on this first. I guess my I guess to begin my insight into this, uh, it starts with a question, and I guess that question would be, where are you going? You know, and why are you in such a hurry to get there? Right. He talks about, you know, watching a movie at twice the speed. I mean, why are you watching a movie? Why even start the movie? If you just want to know how it ends, you can look it up on the internet and save yourself an hour and a half, right? You can just read the ending and spoil the whole movie for you. And then you don't have to waste your time doing it. But, but when I watch a movie, it's because I want to see things unfold. And I want to see them unfold in real time. And I want to see how it starts. And I want to see the trouble they get into. And then I want to see how they resolve it. I want to experience the story as it goes on. I, I want to know how it starts. And I want to know the bits in the middle just as much as I want to know the end. If all I wanted to know was the end of the movie, I would just go read about the end of the movie. So if you feel like you want to watch a movie, ask yourself, why do I want to watch this movie? Is it the journey or is it the end? For me, it's it's the journey. And like Tony Stark said, part of the journey is the end. I like that. He says when he's doing research, skim through this section so you can get to the other articles. Why are you doing research? What's the What's the purpose? This is a means to an end, right? Is the end to just see how much research you can do? Or is the end to understand the subject matter? And if you're skimming and you're skipping, you may miss something that will help you better understand the subject matter. Why are you doing it? Why are you watching a movie? Why are you doing the research? Keep in mind the why, and maybe that will help you slow down. Um, the other bit I would say, and maybe this comes from raising children uh, in an alternative way, my kids, my children do not go to school. 
We don't even do school at home. My children are just living their lives, however they see fit. When they have questions, when they need help, I'm there for them. Otherwise, there's a lot of things they just learn to figure out on their own. And there's there's a bit of, you mentioned the rat race, right? There's a bit of a rat race that starts really early in life, very unfortunately. It's something that I reject. And that's the rat race of, you must climb the education ladder, right? In order to accomplish certain things by certain ages, or else you're going to miss the next uh, step on the ladder. And then you're going to have to go back and do the, the, the step before again. This is the rat race of education. If you don't accomplish what you need to in first grade, you're going to be behind in second. You're going to have to repeat first, or you're going to have to do summer school. And if you don't accomplish what you need to in second, you're going to be behind in third. And all of this is because you have a one person trying to keep 30 kids on the same uh, page as they move forward from concept to concept, right? More complex, the, com- the complexity increases. You're not going to do uh, division, long division, until you do short division, until you do multiplication, until you do subtraction and addition. You've got to do it step by step to grow your knowledge. This is the rat race. You've got to level up. You've got to lap, right? You've got to lap and go to the next level. And you can't, you can't graduate at 18, at 12th grade, if you don't do all of these prerequisites to get there. But who says that you have to, here's an example, who says that you have to learn to read at six years old? I've known people that did not learn to read until they were 12. Does that mean they're stuck reading Dr. Seuss at 12 and 13 and 14? No, it means they learned to read at 12, and by 12 and a quarter, they're reading Harry Potter. So this this rat race, this educational rat race, as well as this corporate rat race, these are unnatural, artificial constructs. That's what they are. And there's a bit of them we put on ourselves, and there's a bit of it that's forced upon us. When when parents force their kids into school, they force them into that rat race. And they learn they learn that. They learn what they what they absorb from that is that if you don't learn certain things by certain ages, then you're just going to be a dumb idiot failure in life. And that is a horrible thing to learn and to teach kids because it's simply not true. You don't have to graduate high school. You don't have to get your, either your general education diploma or your high school diploma by 18. You don't have to. You don't have to start college by 19 and graduate college by 23, and graduate graduate school by 25, or 26, or 27. I see people all the time that go back to high school and finish as a senior citizen, or go back to college as a working adult, taking evening classes. The The danger that this person has put themselves in is comparing themselves to, to other people. And all I can say is what Bob Newhart said in that brilliant Saturday Night Live skit. Stop it. Stop it. Where your peers are at in their lives, again, relative to you, it's an artificial construct. It's not nature. They have their own goals, they have their own ends, and they have their own speed at which they will accomplish that. You are a unique individual and you will have your own goals and your own speed. You don't have to accomplish things at the same time in the same way as anybody else. 
You don't have to learn. If, if reading is a struggle for you at six years old, fine, put it away. Now, in school, that's difficult because the teacher needs everybody to read so that when they call on you to read, they don't have to sit and spend extra time with you. She, she doesn't have the resources to do that. She's got 30 kids or he's got 30 kids and he needs them all on the same level. So if anybody is struggling with something, it slows the whole class down. And that's not fair to the, the, the fast and the quick kids who learn easily and quickly. And this is one of my biggest problems with schooling as an institution. So my kids, you know, they avoid all of that. They've all learned to read in their own way and on their own time schedule. And my six-year-old isn't reading yet. One day she will. And when she does, that will be the right time. Whether she's seven or whether she's 11, it doesn't matter. My son, my 15-year-old son right now, he wants a job. And the Chick-fil-A downtown where I work, and I can drop him off, they hire at 14. He's 15. So I picked up an application for him. And it kind of freaked him out. He says, I got to fill this out but I don't write good. (laughs) I don't write good. (laughs) No, he didn't say it like that. Uh, He knows his handwriting is horrendous because he's just never written. He knows how to write. He can slow down and and form the letters and get it out, but it looks like a six-year-old wrote it. He knows how to type. He's been typing. He types every day. He's a fantastic typist, right? A lot of, you know, a lot of people master that and they have shitty handwriting. My handwriting, I don't use it at all. And it's, it's not where it used to be. I'd have to spend a conscious amount of effort practicing and getting it back to where it was. It's just the world in which we, we've chosen to live in. But I'm not going to write it for him. This is his first job application. He's 15 years old. He's going to fill it out. So he made copies of it and he's practicing. <laughs> That's what you do. He doesn't need a job right away. He wants a job right away because he wants more money. He wants more money because he wants to build himself a computer. Right now, he's using a really old laptop that he connects into a cloud computer to play all the new the new games. And I'm fine paying for that. I think he should just stick with that. I think he should save his money and, you know, build it up and save it up and buy something else. But that's what he wants to do. So he's going to figure out how to do that and put it together. Great. But he's intrinsically motivated to do this. So he's going to copy the application and practice filling it out and get it to where he's not going to be embarrassed by what he turns in. He's also learning to drive. Um, he's got to have a learner's permit for six months. He doesn't turn 16 till October. So the latest we want to get that is April. It's January now. So he's not in a big rush. And again, even driving is a means to an end, right? And it's, it's, it's an intrinsic motivation that is pushing him there. It's not because, I mean, it just so happens that you've, you know, in order to get a license, you've got to be 16 in the state of Utah where we're at. But otherwise, he's not in a hurry. And I've known kids that didn't get their licenses till they were 18 because they didn't need it. And it was fine when they needed it, when they were leaving the house and it became a power that would become very useful and helpful to them. They learned to drive. They got their licenses and it was, you know, easy peasy lemon squeezy. So, you know, I don't know how helpful this has been to you, but I would say consider your ends and why you're doing what you're doing. But I would also remind yourself that, right, Stoicism talks about memento mori, remember your death, right? That's important for particular reasons. But I I think that a good corollary to that is uh, memento vita, (laughs) remember your life, and you probably have a lot of it ahead of you. 
remember your death, right? So when stuff happens, you can deal with it properly and efficiently and effectively, but also remember your life, right? What are you in such a hurry for? Where are you going, right? What is the old adage? Slow down and smell the roses. Okay, so he made a couple of edits on this. I'm going to read these. And I guess it goes to some older posts, but I'm just going to read what he quoted. Mountains should be climbed with as little effort as possible and without desire. The reality of your own nature should determine the speed. If you become restless, then speed up. If you become winded, then slow down. You climb the mountain in an equilibrium between restlessness and exhaustion. Then, when you're no longer thinking ahead, each footstep isn't just a means to an end, but a unique event in itself. This leaf has jagged edges. This rock looks loose. From this place, the snow is less visible, even though closer. These are things you should notice anyway. To live only for some future goal is shallow. It's the sides of the mountain which sustain life, not the top. Here's where things grow. I like that. Why are you watching the movie? Because you want to know how it ends? Go look it up. Take you five minutes, and then you've saved two hours of your time. Why are you climbing the mountain? I mean, why are you climbing it? Are you climbing it because you want exercise? Then you'll you'll push yourself a bit more, right? You want to reach exhaustion. You want to you want to really stress your body. Then you know you speed up a bit. If you want to just enjoy the day and and smell the smells, then meandering up the side of the mountain is probably more apt. So what it what is your why? Why are you doing it? Remember your death and remember your life. That's that's the insight I've got for this. So I hope that's helpful. We're gonna end there. Um, Okay, so we looked at our needs. We looked at Seneca and these other guys. And then we looked at the pressure of time. Boy, I really got into some things in this episode. This was a long one. That's it. Thank you so much for listening and have a better day. Please send your comments or questions to thinkinganddoingpodcast at gmail.com. Please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by visiting patreon.com forward slash evc or paypal.me forward slash everything voluntary. Thank you.